That's a pretty great story, isn't it? Just the simplicity of a simple object, uh, but a courageous decision. I appreciated her honesty of going, I didn't know what to do, so I had to look like I was doing something. But the heart of it was, did you capture, Lord, I'm going to go out there. I'm available. Here I am. And you know, for all of us, as we think about having the attitude of Jesus toward our literal neighbors, what we have been describing neighbortude as the attitude of Jesus toward our literal neighbors, it's simply saying, Lord, here I am, I'm available. Doesn't have to be a big program, it's simply saying to be present there. And so I wanted you to see that as we wrap up this morning our look in Philippians 2 on this passage and this series on neighbortude, because I, I desperately hope that we don't finish a series and neighbortude becomes something part of our past. I hope actually it's a non-word that will become part of your vocabulary the rest of your life, that you will, even more than the word, there will be attitudes and some actions that you have established in your practice, wherever you live, whether it's on the street now or if you move wherever you live for the rest of your life, wherever God places you on the planet, you're going to say, Lord, I want to have neighbortude. I want to have your attitude toward my literal neighbors. It's an incredible privilege to be an instrument in the hand of God in that regard. And so I want us to look one last time at Philippians 2 on this subject. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If not, it'll be up here on the screen. Philippians 2 has taught us a number of attitudes. It starts in verse 5 with, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're simply saying, what's it mean to be Christ in my attitude toward my literal neighbor? And here's where it begins. It says of him, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. Here's the key word. What did he do? He humbled himself. That's what everything else was describing. In the emptying, the taking on, it was a humbling of himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So don't miss it. If you and I are going to have the attitude of Jesus towards our literal neighbors, it begins with an attitude of humility, where I recognize that neighbortude is both a giving and receiving, that I get to meet needs and I allow other people to meet my needs. I genuinely hope that you have not taken away from this, this idea that I need to go be the superhero, to give, 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 but that you would say, no, no, I am there to help and I am able, humbly, to receive help. That the next time you go, oh, no, 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 instead of saying, oh, no, 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 you would say, thank you. Because relationship is a two-way street. One way ruins relationship. Relationships are two-way streets. So it begins with the humility, the humility that gives and the humility that receives. Text goes on. For this reason also, 
God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. To what end? To what end? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the attitude of Jesus is one of humility and second, an attitude of urgency, recognizing that every one of my neighbors, every single one of my neighbors, your literal neighbors, is going to bow to Jesus by God's grace, hopefully, before death for salvation. But if not, then it will, the the scripture promises, it will be after death for condemnation. And so it is that urgency with the gospel that we need to have towards our literal neighbors if we're going to have the urgency of Christ. One of the things that you can simply do next week is simply say, would you be interested in coming to the Easter, our Easter service? Don't be that neighbor that thinks, like we saw last week, that thinks, well, they're not interested. You don't know. Why don't you let them decide? You ever tried to make decisions for other people? Doesn't always go well, does it? So let them decide. Hey, would you like to come? Oh, we know we go. So, no, it's no problem. Thanks. I was just want to know you were invited. So invite to next week. And remember, uh, we'll be in both south and north, all three services. When you invite them, that you're crossing a path that sometimes is hard to cross. After Easter, for two Sundays, we're going to provide a class that I hope will help you in this attitude of urgency. Because for some of us, we're taking the first step of being out getting to know our neighbors, but now we're facing that new barrier of how do we move from small talk to real talk? You ever felt that obstacle? Like, okay, now I'm started, but I don't really, this is going to be awkward. You believe in Jesus? I, I don't know how to do that. So you're not sure how to do that. That feels awkward to you. Really simple class, a couple Sundays, last ones in April over in D6, have some conversation with one another, how to naturally move from small talk to real talk. In addition to the, our urgency with the gospel, on that Sunday a couple of weeks ago, we talked about power-up clubs in our community, one of our greatest opportunities to put Jesus as a church on display in the front yards all over Jacksonville. And we encouraged you to consider, would your front yard be a place where the gospel could be proclaimed? Lots of you have done it, but lots more have never hosted a power-up club. And I encouraged you, don't worry about your grass. Worry more about the eternal soul of your neighbor. And I'm not being overly dramatic there. That's just a real comparison that we ought to not lose sight of. And so power-up clubs this summer, and we asked folks to be host. Here's some good news, an update for you. There's a map of folks who have already committed. We have almost 60 people who have already said, my front yard's available. Awesome. Now, last year we had 84. So we would love to have more. And specifically, I noticed, can you even see way back there? This says Nocatee. Do you know anything about Nocatee? Exploding with young families. I would really, if you live out there, I'd love if you would say, hey, let's, we could use a number of power-up clubs in Nocatee. 
So all over town there, we're going to try and get this map as soon as possible on our website so that you can click and see where folks are available for this reason, a a new concept we want to take further this year. The concept is this, host home partner. In other words, some of you are like, ah, it feels like I'm not prepared to take the step of hosting. Or our yard really isn't conducive. Or we don't really have kids in our neighborhood. So you go to the map and you go, well, they're having one and they're only a mile or half a mile or two miles away. I could probably help them be a host home partner. The beauty of it is this, a host home partner allows for a division of labor, but a doubling of impact. Because you're going to know people that they don't know. You're going to have connections with the, that they don't have. And we were blessed when we were doing them in, in our house when our kids were young, to be able to have our next door neighbors first attend and then come to Christ and go, well, we'll help. So they did it. They helped us for a couple of years. And then we had that great year where they did it and we helped them. But actually, the beauty of it was there can be work and set up and there can be money involved in buying snacks and then clean up and to be able to have division of labor and double the impact. That's the vision for a host home partner. So some of you thus far have not thought about being a host home. I want to re-lift it up in your thinking. Maybe you'll be a host home. If not, if you have genuine reasons saying, I can't do it, why not be a host home partner. Divide the labor, double the impact. And we'll see what God will do as front yards all over Jacksonville with parents in it, with their kids, hear the gospel shared that every knee is going to bow. What a great privilege we have to share. And I hope you'll be a part. All right, back to the text in Philippians 2. It says then in uh, verse 12, so then my beloved, Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here's the command, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So attitude of humility, urgency, and third, an attitude of work, that I'm going to work because big reason here, because it is God who is working in me. Do you only do what you feel strong enough to do? If so, you're missing the whole point of the spiritual life. You're all missing the whole point of the life of Christ working in you. See, the the privilege of walking with Christ, the privilege of knowing him is to say, the Lord's given me an opportunity. It feels like deep water. It feels too hard for me. I can step in trusting that faithful is the one who's called me and he will do it. God is at work in me as I am working. So attitude of urgency, attitude of humility, attitude of work. The text goes on. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. This was our challenge last week. Nobody likes a complainer. So don't grumble, don't dispute, so that you'll prove yourselves to be who? Blameless, innocent, 
children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, Paul says, I'll have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. An attitude of gratitude because grumbling is unbecoming. That's a nice word for saying grumbling's ugly. It's unbecoming and it stains the name of our heavenly father. Do you believe he cares for you? Then why grumble? Do you believe he loves you? Why grumble? Do you believe he's good? See, our grumbling doesn't make sense if we believe who the scripture says he is. And so we stop grumbling. We lift up our heavenly father. People don't want to be away from us because nobody likes to be around a complainer. And we engage in relationship. To the end of the passage now this morning where we look at our final attitude, the attitude of joyful sacrifice, which is a really interesting expression, right? Two words we don't normally put together. Joyful sacrifice, because either you are joyful or you are sacrificing. Never the same. But actually, the text, this is the beauty of it, the text is going to put joyful and sacrifice together in the attitude of Jesus, which makes sense because the scripture says, the writer to the Hebrews, Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the the cross and despised its shame. He had joyful sacrifice. And for you and I this morning, I hope we will see the privilege of being like Christ in putting these two words together. Sacrificing, but joyfully. Joyfully sacrificing. The text is first. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 17 and 18. Here's what it says. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So this whole text is based on this image of a drink offering. So let me make sure we explain. Old Testament times, the way people had their sin covered, if you will, was God gave the command to bring a sacrifice, an animal, to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice it unto God as a covering for your sin. Part of the sacrifice would be, let me help you imagine here. This might look like a planter to you, But what you need to imagine, this is the altar of God. It's a little small than the real thing. The real thing would have been more like 10 feet by 10 feet, but that'd be hard for me to put in front of you up here. The band wouldn't have any place to play. So imagine 10 feet by 10 feet, the altar of God, where people would bring to a priest an animal as large as a bull, which you wouldn't quite fit in here. And they would sacrifice it to the Lord as a covering for their sin. And what the priest would do is, according to the size of the animal sacrificed in the altar of the Lord, they would then offer, along with it, a liquid that they poured into the altar with the burnt offering as a sacrifice, okay? So the drink offerings, the liquid, poured into the altar with the burnt offering as a sacrifice of the Lord. 
The size of the drink offering was always connected to the size of the animal. For example, if you offered a lamb, then it was a quart of liquid, maybe wine or blood mixed together. It would be poured on to the altar of the Lord. If it was a ram, a quart and a half. If it was a bull, the Leviticus says two quarts. So imagine... You have the big altar of the Lord, an animal being sacrificed for the covering of sin, and a priest then takes, not a garden bucket, but you get the idea. He takes liquid and he pours it onto the offering that is burning, and the smoke that comes up is the picture of a sweet aroma onto the Lord. This would have happened every day, year after year, priest offering sacrifices to the Lord, including a drink offering for the covering of their sin. But then, thousands of years later, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. What we're going to celebrate Friday night, Matt referenced it, Dallas referenced it. I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm always encouraged, quite frankly, Easter Sunday. Normally, we're, we average a little over 1,100 adults on a Sunday morning. We'll probably have 1,800 adults here next week. But of the 1,100 that come regularly, we often have less than half of that who come to Good Friday when we remember the cross. Can I just say, can I hold up a little mirror to us and go, that doesn't make any sense. You understand, I I appreciate the value of celebrating the resurrection. But guess what? No resurrection without the cross. Uh, The resurrection is the reminder that we can now, with the power of Christ, walk in newness of life. But it's only the result of a death that took away the penalty for our sin. And so that we were forgiven and free, like we declared in song this morning. So... I know it's spring, I know it's Friday, I know you like to spend the evening in some other way. There is no, quite frankly, with, Chris, with uh, Good Friday and Easter, there's no more appropriate time for the body of Christ to say we're going to come together to corporately celebrate. And that's a funny word, but it is. It's the correct word, to celebrate. It won't be mourning. To celebrate the death of Christ on our behalf, to then then gather again on Sunday morning, a week from today, to celebrate his resurrection. So all that to say, I hope you'll come Friday to remember, because Jesus inserted himself as he is having the last meal with his disciples before his crucifixion. They are celebrating a meal called Passover. If that's not familiar, let me explain. Thousands of years earlier, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God said, I'm going to deliver you from slavery. As he's delivered us from sin, slavery to it, he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And he did that by sending plagues on the Egyptians so that they would let them go. And Pharaoh refused until the 10th plague. The 10th plague, God said, I'm going to go all through Egypt and in the house of every single person, the firstborn of every household will die. But then he said to the Israelites, but if you will take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and you will sacrifice it and you'll take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the doorpost of your house, 
then I will, and here's why the word, I will pass over and the firstborn will not die in your house. The, the lamb will have died in his place. And that's exactly what happened. All the Egyptians lost the firstborn, including Pharaoh, and he finally said to Israel, out, and they were delivered from Egypt. The, the, the day that marked their July 4th, if you will, and the Lord said, every year on this day, I want you to remember Passover by taking the Passover meal. So fast forward, thousands of years later, Jesus is in the upper room. He is with his disciples. They are celebrating Passover, the time where the lamb died on behalf of the firstborn and death passed over. And Jesus says to them around the meal in Luke 22, 20, and in the same way, he, Jesus, took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So let me explain. First of all, if there's a new covenant, what else is there? Very sharp of you. Yes, there was an old covenant. So the old covenant was this covenant where the priest would take the blood of the animal and the blood of it and offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. The new covenant, Jesus said, will not be an animal. The new covenant is my body and my blood. And it will not have to happen day after day, year after year. It will be once for the rest of time, a sacrifice made not for the covering of sin, but the New Testament says for the taking of sin out of the way. That's a dramatic difference. Think about sin still present, just covered versus sin taken out of the way. Jesus took sin out of the way by his death on the cross, and he is telling his disciples, we for thousands of years have looked back to a lamb covering for a firstborn. I am here today to tell you that it will be my life for your life moving forward. That's the new covenant. Trusting in me, not an animal. Not year after year, once for all. Not sin covered, sin taken out of the way. That's the joy of the new covenant. And so what Jesus is telling his disciples is that he identifies his blood as that, if you will, drink offering poured out in the new covenant in the same way that the drink offering had been offered over and over and over in the past. So it changes. This now becomes Jesus pouring himself out for the sin of all the world. Now, that brings us to Philippians 2, back to our text. That's the picture of drink offering. Paul now says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, is, is Paul saying he is doing what Jesus did? No, don't, don't be confused here. Only Jesus, who was without sin, could pour himself out so that the sin of all the world would be taken out of the way. Only Jesus could do that. Paul couldn't do that because he had sin himself. What he is saying is this. 
He's saying Jesus was a drink offering for the sin of the world. He wasn't thinking just, he wasn't thinking the world. Paul is thinking specifically the people in Philippi. Who have come to new life in Christ. Which was supposed to be demonstrated by my wife's geraniums. Which had lots more life until it fell out my truck on the way here this morning. <laughs> but she was here last hour, so she's got the bad news. <clears throat> and I'm still here third hour, so that's good. So Paul is saying... Think, think Philippi, think the people of Philippi, and what I see, Paul is saying, my life as, as a drink offering. In other words, I'm pouring myself out for, watch, the sacrifice and service of your faith. There was a time, if you can follow with me here, there was a time where Philippi was barren of new life in Christ, and Paul went and poured himself out. Part of doing so was planting the seed of the gospel in Philippi, and new life came to Philippi. And he continued to pour his life out so that that new life would grow and blossom. See, faith begins, and faith grows and blossoms. Not more faith, but faith more. Paul's simply saying, I've given my life. So that the faith in Philippi would be born, faith faith in Philippi would grow, faith in Philippi would blossom. I'm pouring my life into it. You follow? It's a great picture of a man who loved a congregation, a people, and said, I'm going to pour myself out so that they know faith Grow in faith and blossom in faith. So he sees his service on behalf of the faith of the Philippians as a drink offering. Now you can probably then follow. What is the drink offering of neighborhood? Paul said, I'm thinking the city Philippi and specifically the people in it. The faith offering, excuse me, the drink offering of neighborhood is think your street, your neighborhood, and the people who live in it. Well, you may go, "Uh, Doug, if you came to my street, you would go, "Uh, that's what we look like. (laughs) There ain't no faith on our street. Guess what? That's what you used to look like. And what happened? Somebody poured into you, planting the gospel, watering the gospel so that faith was born in you, and somebody is currently pouring their life out so that your faith grows and your faith blossoms. So that you can go to your literal neighbors and say, I'm going to pour out my life on my street to my literal neighbors so that faith is born and grows and blossoms. You see the picture? It's a beautiful picture. 
very practical. The drink offering of neighborhood is, it, it, don't be caught by the vagueness. What's pouring out of here? It's my minutes that I often want to protect for me. The, the drink offering is my minutes that I invest. According to that video, those three hours of awkward hours of sitting out there till the first relationship is established. It's the minutes we, we don't want to use on the detour. Poured out on what? The people that God has merged my life with for the sake of faith being born and growing and blossoming. It's my minutes. It's my energy being poured out. This is why neighborhood, the attitude of Jesus is so significant. So often we want to go home and go, I don't want to pour out any energy. But neighborhood is a, a pouring out of my minutes, my energy, my service. And what are we pouring it upon? We're pouring it upon the people for the sake of faith for our literal neighbors. Can you see the picture now? Your name right here. Because your life represented all your minutes, all your energy, all your talents, right here in a bucket and saying, I'm going to pour it out on my literal neighbors for the sake of their faith. That's what Paul was doing in the Philippians. And I love how he says it. Go back and look at the text, verse 17 and 18. He says, but even if I am being poured out. You know what he's saying by starting that way? He's saying, even if I am being poured out. In other words, even if you think being poured out is a waste or being poured out is a hassle or being poured out is a pain. He's saying, even if. I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy. There's a lot of joy there, isn't there? He's going, this is, it's not just sacrifice, it's joyful sacrifice. It's the joy of being poured out. To summarize, Paul simply says, as I look in the rearview mirror of my time back in Philippi, as I look back and I recall and I think about being poured out there, the suffering, the sweat, the tears, the sleepless nights, the mocking, you know what I think? <laughs> I think I don't regret that. I don't regret it. Which is powerful. Anything in your rearview mirror that you've poured out that you regret? Yeah, happens to us a lot. We go, ah, that was such a waste. Why did I do that? Well, have you never poured your minutes into something and then concluded after? Oh, that was not worth it. Poured your energy into something and then afterwards you're like, ah, why did I do that? 
All of us have that, but when Paul looked in the rearview mirror of his time in Philippi, he went, I don't regret, I don't regret that at all. Not only do I not regret it, what did he say? I do, I rejoice in it. <laughs> I rejoice in it. I look back, it puts a big smile on my face. When I look back on that time, I think, that is so worth it. I think of that barren place and the new life that's there, and I see that new life that's grown, and then I see the blossoms that have come from that new life. It makes me smile to think about the joyful sacrifice. And he doesn't stop there. Not, I just don't regret it. Uh, It's, I don't regret it. I rejoice in it. And third, I want you to rejoice with me. That shows you the level of his believing, his believing in the worthiness of it. Have you ever sacrificed for somebody and you were glad to do it and they kept saying, I'm so sorry you did that. I wish you wouldn't have had to do that. I'm sorry. I know it was a real hassle and you want to go, stop it. Stop saying that. It wasn't a hassle. I was, and you're not lying. You mean it. I was glad to do it. I was glad to go out of my way. I was glad to put in the extra effort. I was glad to spend the money. I was glad to take my minutes, my energy, my service, and pour it out for the sake of your faith. It was worth it. I don't regret it. I'm happy about it. Guess what? I want you to be happy with me. It's worth it to be able to Look, folks, what an incredible privilege to be able to be poured out. So, the, the, the hard part about looking in the rearview mirror is this. You can look and smile or grimace, but you can't get it back. All you can do is look in the rearview mirror and cause you to then go, Oh, I got some questions for the windshield then. (laughs) In other words, I can't change what's behind me, but it makes me think about what I'm doing right now, what I am pouring my life out for. So ask yourself that question. What are you pouring your life out for? What are you pouring your life out for? And when I ask that question... Understand, I'm not asking you, are you pouring your life out for something? Why am I not asking you that? Because you are. You are pouring your life out for something. I'm simply, and you ask, what is it? Well, you may go, well, I have to go to work every day, so I have to pour my life at work. No, 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 no. Stop. Listen. I'm not asking where you are pouring your life out. I'm asking you what are you pouring your life out for? Big difference. Because you can go to work, regardless of where you work, you can go to work to pour out your life for the sake of faith of those you work with. Or you can go to make a name for yourself or make a big paycheck or to get a promotion. It's not where you do or what you do, but why you do it. What you do it so you're pouring your life out for something what is it 
And then the second question, obvious, is it worth it? When you label this sucker, (laughs) is it worth it? Can't change the past. Your view mirror will help you think about the windshield. Is it worth what I'm pouring my life out for? And what's worth it, what's worth rejoicing in, is what Paul says, pouring my life out for the faith of others. My spouse, my kids, that's worth it. My family, my neighbors, my coworkers, my boss, that's worth it to pour my life out for the sake, yes, I work hard, for the sake of their faith. That it would be born and grow and blossom. Some of you may go, yeah, I I am. I'm doing that. Good. Third question. Are you rejoicing in it? Because sometimes we do the right thing, but we've lost the joy. Because you could, you could go home, get yourself a turquoise picnic table, put it in your front, dar- front yard, go sit at it. Somebody comes by, what are you doing? My pastor said I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> if that's where you are, stay inside. Do us all a favor. Until you recognize, whoa, even if I'm being poured out, I rejoice in it. It's worth it. You're worth it. That's that's what we want to give our lives for. So let me show us flow. You don't need to write this down, but I want to make sure we see the flow of being poured out. Here's what I mean. It all starts with this. The fact that Jesus was poured out for me. You understand that's where it starts? I didn't love God. He loved me. God demonstrated his love for me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. It started with the God who loved me, even though I was an enemy, deserving of his wrath, and said, I will send my son to be poured out as the drink offering of the new covenant. But it doesn't stop there. After Jesus was poured out for me, then for all who have trusted in him, the Holy Spirit has been poured into us. Straight out of Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. The Father has poured his spirit into our hearts. So the Son poured out for us, the Spirit of God poured in us so that what happens? <laughs> so that we are poured out for others. You see the flow? I love that flow because the beauty of that flow is now when I see my life as a drink offering being poured out for the faith of others, what are they actually getting poured on them? Yeah, Jesus, the Spirit of God is being poured on them because he was poured out for me and poured into me so that he pours through me 
one to them. And they don't just experience a, a nice guy down the street or a nice lady at the end of the street. They experience Jesus. It changes their life. Because Jesus poured onto them is how faith is born and how faith grows and how faith blossoms. So I want us to celebrate the flow as we close this morning. I'm going to invite the band, the band to come up. And the way we celebrate Jesus poured out for us is we're going to share in the Lord's Supper together, communion. So let me invite the guys to come forward. If this is unusual for you, by the way, over in north, we're going to do this together right now, okay? So guys over there, men come forward with the elements. And here's what's going to happen if this is new for you. There's going to be a plate that comes to you with a couple slices of bread on it. We're inviting you to break off a piece of bread and take it. The scripture says this is a reminder of the body of Christ that has been broken for us, the new covenant. That forgiveness would not be found in the covering of an animal, but in the death of Jesus Christ, the sinless sacrifice on our behalf. Following that cup, that bread, will be a tray of little cups. Take one out. It's simply filled with juice. And this juice is a reminder of the blood of Christ. Remember the cup of the new covenant. So these elements are reminding where flow begins. Jesus poured out for us. I want to invite you, as you take a few moments as the men are passing, whether you have them in your hands now already or you're waiting for them, I want to invite you to simply bow your head and declare your gratitude to God for sending his son to be poured out on your behalf. Tell him thank you. And then together in a moment, we'll declare our gratitude together.
So you've taken a moment to say, Father, thank you for sending your son to be poured out for me. And then in a moment, we're going to take the elements. And in taking them, understand we are saying, Lord, we are trusting in you and what your work on our behalf, not our own. We're trusting that you have paid the penalty we couldn't pay. And we'll take and eat. And it will be the reminder that we have been identified, made one with him, the scripture says, in death and burial and resurrection. And that as we've trusted in him, who's been poured out for us, we are now raised to walk in newness of life. He's poured his spirit into us. The spirit of God himself dwells within you who believe. So would you take a moment before we take and tell him, Lord, I'm available to be now poured out for others if you've been poured into me. Would you offer yourself to him there in the quietness of your seat? Lord, thank you for the joyful privilege of sacrifice, of sharing in both your sufferings and your resurrection, of knowing the privilege of being instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Thank you for that great grace. Thank you for your death, for new life in you we take in gratitude. Would you take together? Let's stand together and offer ourselves, all of ourselves, to our Savior.
bids me come and die and find that I may truly So because Jesus was poured out for us and the Holy Spirit poured in, we really do have the privilege to go be poured out for the sake of the faith of others. We get to go home to our literal neighbors and be instruments in the hands of God. Uh, part of that simply this week would be to you to invite them again to Easter this Sunday. Uh, we'll be simply starting the Gospel of Mark and introducing Jesus. And uh, I hope you'll invite someone who may need to be introduced to Jesus. And that you'll be here as well Friday night as we celebrate Jesus poured out for us. God bless.